Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the second part of this two part episode interview with Vedanarayan Vedantan. We will call him Veda and refer to him like that in the interview. Last week, we talked about the customer acquisition why it matters and how to do it when you're early on as a startup. And today we're talking about customer stickiness. So once you have acquired your first customers, what do you do to keep them? Why you should pay attention to that metric as well, not only to the acquisition of new customers, how to calculate your lifetime value of a customer, what to do when you're too early in your journey and you don't have enough data to calculate the lifetime value, so we're touching on a lot of those metrics that, according to Vida's experience, a lot of startup founders do not pay attention to or start doing it way too late. And those are the metrics and focus areas that can actually help you a lot in developing your product, but also in growing its success sooner. And the last topic that we touch upon is the mistakes that lead to startup failing completely and have into close down. So here we touch about on Veda's um, experience of being a part of the founding team that had to close down the uh, venture that they have been trying to build, how that mistake of pivoting affected them. And there we touch on the topics of defining your product market fit, figuring out the business model for yourself, what you can do when you are too early with your idea, when the market is not mature enough. Veda will walk you through the general ideas there on how to succeed and also what to avoid and how to prevent the mistakes that are typical in those areas. We'll also talk about dead leads and reactivations to keep nurturing your customers and potential customers. And we'll also touch upon leadership, of course, since this is the topic of this podcast. So I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. You will reach out to Veda if you have any follow-up questions. And of course, if I can support you with anything, please do not hesitate to reach out to me and see you on the other side. We're talking about the successes and failures, right? And I guess the, the uh, failure here, what you, uh, what you observe among the startups that you worked with or you mentor, is that they focus too much on acquisition and not on the retention, right? Or stickiness yeah. of the customers. So how can we help them now with some pieces of advice on what to pay attention yeah. to, to actually raise and, and make the, the lifetime value of the customer higher? Absolutely. Great question again. And uh, uh, this takes me back a while, almost a decade ago when I used to take care of marketing for what was back in the day. Uh, India is in one of the world's leading online marketplaces for selling Indian ethnic wear, ethnic Indian clothing. Mm-hmm. To Indians living in India, the Indian diaspora living all across the world, and a lot of Westerners as well who are interested in, in buying Indian clothing online. Um, and they used to customize the clothes according to the according to the requirements uh, that the you know the customer had. And obviously, as you would have guessed, the primary persona here was women, right, who were interested in buying a sari and various other Indian ethnic wear clothing, the salwar kameez, which are very popular Indian ethnic wears. In case you've heard of them, in case you've heard of these terms, and uh, this was a healthy business. 
and it still is it still continues to be a healthy business you know really strong gross margins positive cash flows unlike a lot of unicorn stories you might be hearing across the globe uh, genuinely profitable but the problem was this it had very high asps 300 400 500 $500 for every purchase but the problem was anna buys from me once but she doesn't buy from me again as a customer for the next 3 years because she has a wedding in her family or she's getting married herself or there is a christmas or diwali which is like india's version of christmas it's a very popular festival in india uh, people make a lot of these purchases then but they don't necessarily spend for long periods of time after that and um, which was a problem because when we were looking to raise funds to grow the business a lot of venture capitalists felt the business was inherently risky they felt your customers are coming in through one door leaving through the other never to return or even if they do return it takes them 2 years 3 years on an average to come back so if you're making say 10 million dollars every month in terms of revenues 90 95% of that is coming just from new first time customer acquisitions which is a problem because your target market is fixed eventually you're going to hit a glass ceiling what do you do after that uh, so which they felt the business was risky so we really couldn't achieve that you know exponential hockey stick growth that a lot of startups startups aspire for uh, that's something which was a you know a, a, something that we couldn't turn around at a failure story if you, if you you know uh, if you want to think of it that way and uh, essentially underscoring the importance of driving repeat revenue for your business a very important metric for you to measure is how much of repeat business are you able to drive with your existing customers which essentially is measured through your customer lifetime value or cltv values weren't very great right the lifetime values so fast forward a few years i had the exact same problem in in an edtech company i'm sure a lot of you people who are tuning in here must be entrepreneurs uh, you know in the edtech space and you would certainly relate with this uh, you know i used to uh, you know take care of marketing globally for a company called simply learn which is one of the world's leading providers of online professional certification solutions in project management data science etc for working professionals and with very high asps again right so if anna is a working professional i have got her certified in digital marketing or data science and very high asps right she spent like say a thousand dollars in picking up a certification it's going to be a pretty difficult conversation for me to convince anna to spend another thousand dollars in picking up another certification right and uh, which was a problem that we had high asps because it's edtech and we're selling an online course gross margins were 70 80% plus because you're selling the same online content again and again there is no cogs or cost of goods sold positive cash flows but very low repeats same problem statement but we managed to turn it around here and what we did and we and how we did that was we pivoted the brand to the narrative of a learning path so what i essentially said was analyze and i'm not just selling you this particular course i'm not just a uh, you know our relationship is not tactical where i'm just selling this course to you but i'm here as your learning partner and your career planner so analyze and this is this Uh, you know this is your customized bespoke learning path that i have crafted for you you are here at base camp a which is the course that you've just taken you want to get to the speak which is the cmo role chief marketing officer role if you are in the marketing track or a chief data scientist role if you are in the data science track and for getting there you need to go to base camps b c d to reach mm-hmm. that peak which are two three other courses so i'm selling this entire learning path concept to anna if you think about it it's nothing new it's a bundled offering yep. but we pitched packaged and sold it as a learning path and that's how over from virtually nothing in terms of monthly contribution from repeat business we managed to grow that to almost 15% of our monthly revenue started coming from repeat business over three successive quarters you know that's an example of how we managed to turn things around and i wanted to uh, you know hopefully the message lands with a lot of our listeners today on the importance of repeat business in their business mm-hmm. So to summarize build a partnership and relationship with your clients 
try to see what else can you help them with so that they reach their goals with like experiencing your product in the best way. So maybe just coming up with some suggestions and you better tell me if I'm completely off here, but uh, maybe even partnering up if you're, if you are yeah. super niched with your products and um, it's not like you want for now, you'd really need to focus on, on building that. You don't want to create a bigger portfolio, maybe finding partners and building a solutions together that you provide the more holistic service to yep. your clients without actually doing it yourself, but just, just leveraging affiliations or whatever it is, Absolutely. collaborations. Great. Um, all right. Anything else you would like to mention on the stickiness, uh, customer stickiness here before we dive into the third topic? I think we've covered it all. Um, and like I said, like you, you know, very nicely summarized, give customers an excuse or a reason to come back to you. It's, it's extremely important. Uh, a lot of startups in the grind for growth, they just focus on getting the customer in through the door the first time. They don't think enough about engagement, nurturing and uh, customer attention. Uh, and this is especially more so important in the kind of times that we live in, the kind of macroeconomic situations, you know, the kind of headwinds that, that we're observing across the world where working capital is getting crunched. Uh, we see dollars aren't that easy to come by. Everybody's cutting down. Profitability is a big focus. So you want to make sure that the existing customers that you do have, you extract the maximum possible juice from them instead of just trying to acquire newer and newer customers. Which And a lot of this can be achieved and automated through something called as a marketing automation platform. Uh, you've got multiple examples, HubSpot, Marketo, Salesforce also has a marketing uh, you know, automation module. Uh, you've got active campaigns, you've got products from Freshworks, etc., which again is the second the SEO analytics tool is probably the first most important element of an early stage startups marketing toolkit. The second one is a marketing automation platform. So I would certainly urge and recommend a lot of people tuning in here to invest in a marketing automation platform as well. Great. Thanks. And uh, I just want to add, Veda, from my own experience with smaller for services, right? I'm not uh, a mass product, uh, of, like I'm not offering that. But what I've noticed for myself and, and my peers in the space is that continuous conversations with the customers yeah. is very important. And again, that feeds into the building relationship. But if I do want Veda to buy from me when it's time for him to again to go for some leadership coaching, for example, then it's good for me to be on top of his mind, right? Absolutely. It's good for me to keep the conversation going with you. If it's high-touch services, then it's maybe dropping into your DMs, checking in with you, sending you some resources that I felt like would be valuable for you. If it's more mass, uh, like less uh, high-touch service than just being uh, posting, creating value and so on, so that you are on top of people's mind. So I guess that's yeah. also something that we should mention here. Yeah. Hey, Genius Leader, a quick note from me here to remind you that Genius Leadership Podcast just celebrated its second birthday on January 13th, and I do want to celebrate that with you. So please share your favorite episode, subscribe to the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And with, for all of those things, you will be entering the draw of the prizes that I have announced on our birthday episode last Friday or two weeks ago on Friday. And I really want to share my gratitude with you and send those presents to you to the address that you'll let me know about. So do those three things, subscribe, leave a review, share your favorite episodes and takeaways. Let me know about that by sending the screenshots and let's celebrate together. 
right, Vienna. You also have an experience that every entrepreneur would probably love to avoid and skip yeah. and not think <laughs> of, <laughs> which is closing a startup. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, there was a startup that I was a part of a little more than a decade ago, which was in the travel tech space. I used to take care of marketing for them. Uh, I was the first hire in the marketing team. I joined them as a young marketer and uh, set up the whole team. Uh, we grew really quickly. And we were in the travel tech space. Like I said, travel tech is very, very competitive. And uh, we were not Thrillophilia, by the way. It's not that example. But uh, if you had, we would still be alive. And uh, this company grew really quickly. We raised Series A, Series B, Series C. Uh, we were focused in the, in the budget accommodation space, which essentially meant we were selling rooms in hotels, uh, which were priced at 1,000 Indian rupees and lesser. When everybody else is operating in the 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 rupees per night kind of a price bracket. You know, the rooms that we were selling were priced at 1,000 rupees per night and lesser. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the critical ingredients for our growth because a lot of the properties that we had were also very exclusive properties. We had a lot of exclusive inventory, which a lot of the other platforms did not have. Mm. Uh, so a lot of customers, especially, you know, before summer vacation time, which is a big travel season in India, or before the holiday season, Christmas, New Year time, which is usually when travel booms. Uh, every other place used to be sold out, but in our place, you would always find rooms available. So if you're that, if you're a customer who's looking for a good deal, you know, this was the place. And uh, this was the reason why we, you know, had some hyperscaled growth. But the problem was this, we decided to pivot our business, which was a, which was a really bad decision in hindsight, to the Airbnb model. So Airbnb was just about making an entry into India, which was in the alternative accommodation space, essentially homestays. Right. And we wanted to pivot our business to make sure that we captured that market, which was a big drain on the mental resources of the company uh, and, of course, financial resources of the company as well. And uh, uh, and I felt it back then. And uh, I wish I had been more forceful in my conversations as CEO back then that the PMF product market fitment wasn't quite there for our idea. Mm -hmm. and that is an extremely important thing as an entrepreneur that you need to watch for. You need to make sure that you've got PMF established product market fitment. Your idea is not too early or too late. To the market. In our case, we were too early. Why? Because Airbnb as a concept, what is it? Is right? It's about sharing. It's about a sharing economy. And that they did nothing new, in all honesty. That concept was already available even before Airbnb had started. If you walked down, you know, went down downtown San Francisco, you would see, uh, you know, bed and breakfast at $100 a night. You would see these kinds of boards outside people's homes. So people were, it, it, you know, it's a very trusting society and people were okay to let strangers into their home for a night, mm. uh, you know, for a fee. And uh, what Airbnb did was they essentially leveraged this existing cultural construct, which was already in place in the United States and in a lot, in a lot of in a lot of different parts of the Western world. They just put it on a central platform. That essentially is what they did. Whereas in India, that construct is totally missing. It was a cultural taboo in India to let a stranger into your home for just a single night and charge a stranger for it. And uh, which is why I said the product market fitment just wasn't there. And if you have to change people's thinking and behavior, it requires a significant financial investment from a marketing perspective. You won't be able to do it as a startup. Amazon can do it. And it takes a lot of time. But as a startup, it's a huge drain on your financial resources if you're looking to change the way people think. And if you're trying to launch a product which is for which the market is just not ready for. The product is a great one, but the market is not ready for it. Uh, so which is the reason why we eventually crashed and burned. So uh, the moral of the story, the key takeaway for a lot of the people a lot of the entrepreneurs who are tuning into this is the fact that make sure that your market is ready for the product that you're launching. Uh, you've got to time it right. Uh, make sure that you're not launching it too, too early or too late. I want to tap into that. So 
deeper Vieta, because I, I do believe that there are a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are visionary, right? They understand that this is the future and they're so yeah. passionate about this future and about providing the solution to the problem that they don't want to wait. So f- two questions here, Vera, is first of all, how do you actually calculate the product mar- market fit, uh, especially if it, it is about some innovative, uh, innovative idea and solution? And the second question is, if you do identify that you are too early, what are your ideas and uh, and suggestions? What can people do? So a couple of a great question, Anna. So one is on, on your first one, in terms of entrepreneurs being visionaries, how do you make sure they're not just solving for the present, but they're actually solving for the future? Fantastic example is Amazon. Right? If you look at Jeff Bezos, and I'm a big fan of Jeff Bezos and a lot of the interviews that he's given, uh, one of the things that he said is, you've got to look for things and you've got to build products for the future on things which are always going to be around need states that are always going to be around. For example, customers are always going to say, I want my products really quickly and I want products which are really cheap. They're never going to turn around and say, I want products that are delivered late and are really expensive. They're never going to say that. So that is an all-season, all-time need state that customers are going to have. So if you want to focus on that and then make sure that you build futuristic products that address that need state, which is always going to be there. It's that today. They may not be saying it out aloud, but it's always there. It's a latent need, which is that today, and it's always going to be there. Then you you built a business that will always be standing, right? That essentially is one of the pivotal, uh, you know, engines for growth for Amazon. And if you if I had to go back to my own example, the example that I was giving earlier of the travel tech company that crashed and burned, if you had asked that same question of customers in India back then, and uh, even today, Airbnb is not doing well in India, by the way. And uh, even though there is a huge price arbitrage that you can get, right? I can earn a lot more if I were to let out my home, uh, you know, 10 nights in a month instead of letting it out, you know, on a monthly rental. Despite that, people still have this huge level of distrust towards letting strangers in. And that is not going to change anytime soon because that's a cultural, you know, uh, context which is baked into Indian society and a lot of emerging market societies again, which is not going to change. So if you were to just have a very clear sense of the pulse of the customer, like Amazon had, right? Amazon was very clear on what customers want today and what they will always want for. Uh, Whereas we didn't quite clearly have a pulse of what customers want, or in this case, don't want, and what they will continue to not want. And if you have to change that, it's going to take a lot of uh, marketing investment. And uh, the other question is, what do you do if you're very early to the market? Uh, So for example, in, in the case of Healthify Me, we were actually early to the market in all honesty. Calorie counting, weight loss plans via mobile app. If I have, if you have to hand over your weight loss and your health plans to a mobile app, uh, back in 2015, 2016, when Health Family was launched, it was an idea that was too early to the market. But what we had was we had a freemium offering. You need to make sure you've got a freemium offering, even if you're early to the market. In that case, we were early. We recognized we were early, but we had a freemium offering. What was the free freemium is free plus premium. You should have a strong enough free offering, which gives enough of an excuse for a lot of people in droves, right? In tens of thousands to actually come to you. In our case, it was calorie counting. So if you scanned an Indian food, an authentic Indian food on MyFitnessPal, if you want to know how many calories you consume, how many vitamins, carbs, proteins, etc., MyFitnessPal would not be able to recognize that food. So at Healthy Family, we created the world's largest database of Indian foods mm. that were mapped to accurate calorie breakdowns. So it would actually tell you if you had some authentic cuisine from any part of India, North India, South India, West, East, wherever, it would tell you how many calories you've consumed, et cetera, et cetera, how many vitamins, mm-hmm. carbs. You've gone for a swim. You can know how many calories you've burnt. So, you know, you're very mindful of your eating habits and workout patterns. So we continued with that model, which essentially was the key reason why we had 
you know, we actually were able to grow our huge user base. And a lot of this came from organic marketing efforts where which did not have heavy cash burn. So we got conversion from for the free users into paying customers was very low because, like I said, we were too early to the market. But eventually, the market grew and people's awareness for taking care of their health grew. And India, unfortunately, as well, uh, uh, you know, became the obesity capital of the world, the diabetes capital of the world, the cancer capital of the world. So people's awareness towards you know taking their health more seriously also started growing, which is why the conversion rates also started growing from free users to paying customers. Mm-hmm. Hope that helps. Yeah, what I'm just thinking it, it does help with it, but if you are a bootstrapped uh, mm. company, right, the startup, and you you like you are so firmly believing in your idea, but you know that the market is not yet ready for it, and you don't have the the runway to wait for the market to mature with your product with the freemium model, right? So, what are the thoughts there, Vida? So, I mean, be lean, run a lean machine. Your customer acquisition engine goes back to the other point that I mentioned. Don't mm. just rely on performance marketing efforts. Rely on organic growth. Rely on the power of content. Rely on you know ranking on Google. Uh, making sure that even if the market isn't ready, like in the Razorpay case, not a lot of searches on B two B payments, payment gateway. But we focused on areas that were still relevant for my target customer. I'm not going after college students. I'm still going after the entrepreneur persona. Just catching them at a different point in their life cycle journey. Not when they're searching for a payment gateway, but when they're searching for how to build a website. How do I read a PNL in a balance sheet? How do I understand which tax lab I belong to? Right? None of these are relevant to Razorpay's business, but it's very relevant to my customer. So create content that is relevant for your customer while you wait for the market to mature. And all of this we did with zero marketing spend. All of these were just SEO content efforts. The other great engine, which is extremely underutilized, is uh, customer referrals. So instead of throwing money to Facebook, throwing money to Google, throwing money to all of these different ad channels, give it to your existing customers and get them to drive repeats. Uh, sorry, get them to drive new customers for you. Yeah. And of course, the other key thing that you should focus on is your existing customers are absolute gold. A wise man once said, a repeat transaction that you get from an existing customer is worth five new customers that you can actually acquire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure that you focus on extracting the maximum possible monetization juice from your existing customers who already have some kind of an interface towards your brand or already a part of your lead funnel. Make sure that you convert them. And the last piece for you to also focus on, to your point, Anna, if you're a bootstrap company, don't have a lot of money to spend while you're running a lean machine, is to also focus on revivals and reactivations. A lot of people don't focus on that. So you've got your lead funnel with leads, traffic, leads, and customers, people dropping off all of the time. How do you get people who've dropped off to come back? So, uh, for example, at Simply Learn, we used to have this entire concept of quote-unquote dead leads, mm. who are essentially people who are like, you know, very, very relevant in terms of target customers. But for whatever reason, they were not just quite ready to make a purchase decision back then. So every six months, what we would do is we would get back to them saying, Anna, it's been a while since we connected. It's been six months. Uh, we were, you were very close to making a purchase decision. We've grown. Can you give us a chance again? Can we connect? Right. So this is something that we would often try to get people to come back. So referrals, reactivations, uh, making sure that you focus on content, organic growth, focusing on not just your own products, but focusing on what customers are looking for. These should be my suggestions. Thank you, Veda. I, I love them. And I think the one that is most uh, surprising that I think the fewest are thinking about is just this building the ecosystem so that your name associates with solutions for the for the customer, even if you're providing the solutions not that, that are relevant to you, if, as you said, with the razor blade. So really getting people to know your service and associate it with value and solutions for you and answers, finding answers is the good way to be 
um, on top of their mind when it comes to when the time comes for them to potentially purchase your services and again to build a relationship. So Veda, those were a lot of uh, valuable tips. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that people need to re-listen a couple of times to this episode. I want to summarize with a question about leadership. With all your experience, since this is the uh, podcast about leadership, what would be the main one to three uh, takeaways for entrepreneurs on leading their team, their customers, whatever it is that you would like to emphasize uh, and take away uh, for the audience? Yeah, great question again, Anna. And uh, in my view, leadership is about driving simplicity and clarity. We all live in complicated, ambiguous worlds where a lot of these you know, goalposts keep shifting. A lot of things are amorphous. A lot of us don't understand where we're going. But uh, to me, leadership is about cutting through the clutter, cutting through the the smoke in the coffee house, cutting through the ambiguity and being able to drive razor sharp clarity and simplifying it for people around you and for your customers, right? If you're an entrepreneur, to me, that is, if I had to think of one specific thing, it would be about driving simplicity and clarity in ambiguous circumstances. Thank you. This is a beautiful summary and a uh tip and i think that would be another episode on how you can actually simplify things better but yeah. we're already given so much information for yeah. people to digest so maybe that's a, a different conversation for next time but uh, thank you so much for the conversation for your passion for everything you do for the startup ecosystem in india and abroad nowadays and uh, well just keep in touch thank you so much and an absolute pleasure thank you for having me on the show and a big thank you for all of the people who listen in here take care and stay safe And to everyone uh, listening in and to you, Genius Theater, thank you so much for being part of this community and talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything.